Welcome to the Southbridge Church Podcast, where our mission is leading people to find and follow Jesus. We're thrilled that you are here, and it's our hope that this message will lead you to find and follow Jesus. Matthew 9, Proverbs 10.10 says, He who gathers in summer is a wise son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a foolish son. He who gathers in summer is wise, and he who sleeps through the harvest is foolish. Matthew 9, verse 35, the Bible says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogue and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. One more scripture before you're seated. John 4. In the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat which you do not know. I almost called this message mystery meat because they didn't know what Jesus was eating. You see in this passage, Jesus is peeling back his personality and he's revealing his true passion. In verse 33, he says, therefore the disciples said one to another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus overhears their comment and he answers them. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Food is life-giving. We can't make it very long without food. So what Jesus is saying is that it brings him life to give other people life, eternal life. He's saying, that's where my life comes from. This food only satisfies for a moment, but to see soul saved, that lasts forever. And finally, verse 35. Do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Before you're seated, I need you to turn to your neighbor and ask them a question. Are you a field or are you a farmer? Turn to your neighbor and ask them the question. Are you a field or are you a farmer? And as you do so, thank you for standing. You may be seated and may God bless the reading of his word. Are you a field or are you a farmer? We don't know much about the harvest today. However, in an agrarian society, the harvest would have been a moving metaphor. You know, even though we're not farmers, I think this time of year being fall, I think we get that we need, let's dismiss the Spanish service. I forget to do this every single week. If you would like to attend our Spanish service, we're in the youth room. You can be dismissed for the Spanish service. Thank you. Uh, We're so glad that you're here. Thank you. I'm going to have to have a big slide that reminds me to do that each and every week. You know, we, we get the harvest in this fall season. I think we understand it just a little bit better during this time of year. But what Jesus is talking about a harvest, what he's talking is not a harvest of grain, but of groups of people getting saved. This is not a harvest of soybeans, but souls. 
This is not a harvest of peanuts and potatoes, but people coming to Christ. This is not a harvest of corn, but a harvest of converts to Christianity. Jesus is trying to get them to see the need for the harvest. You see, the field is where the harvest is, but the field needs farmers to bring in the harvest. I'm not a farmer, but I am a cowboy. I do own a horse, and I love horses. And yes, like Jessica, I have a nice cowboy hat too. And though I grew up in Fresno and lived on 10 acres, we didn't farm. We didn't have horses. But in the year 2000, I worked at a ranch, and the ranch had 70 horses on it. And we would have to provide everything for these horses. And so when I first came there for the very first time, I land, and as soon as I get there, they tell me, we need to get some hay for the horses. And I said, okay, where do we go buy it? And the head wrangler looked at me and he said, there's no store that sells it. We got to go to the field. I said, okay, let's go to the field. We get out to this huge, huge alpha field. Now, if you're not familiar with alfalfa, this is, uh, we're not talking about the little rascal's character. We're, we're talking about grass for horses, which side story, growing up, my mom would try to get us kids to take alfalfa tablets. And have you ever heard of alfalfa tablets? Okay, my mom would try to get us to take these. And I kid you not, Daniel, my mom would always try to get us as little kids, take these tablets, take these tablets. And then I finally looked up what these tablets do for you, the benefit this week in preparation for the message. I found out it's good for menopausal women. I was thinking, maybe my mom had just had it with her seven kids and she's like, I don't know what else to try. Let's give them these tablets, you know, let's help their hormones. I will say I never had hot flashes. So maybe, maybe it worked. I don't know. But back to the ranch. We get out into this field and there was the owners of the field, and they straight up looked like Larry the Cable Guy, okay? Overalls, plaid shirt, cut off. That was one of them. The other guy, I mean, no shirt and overalls, and he looked like something out of the Deliverance movie. I mean, there were two extremes, all right? I was like, where are we? I had never bailed any hay, and so I was like, okay, let's, let's bail some hay. And they said, we're not baling hay, we're bucking hay. And I was like, okay, what's that? So they had the hay baler that would drive ahead of us because they had already pushed the hay to the side and the hay baler would drive and it had this machine that would crank out the hay bales. Hay bales can weigh anywhere from 50 pounds to 125 pounds, depending on how wet they are. Now, I'm not a big guy. I was much smaller then in 2000. I was about five foot five and I weighed maybe 120 pounds. These hay bales weighed as much as me. And here I am, I'm from California in Tennessee, and in Tennessee, they didn't like a lot of Californians, so I had to prove myself. So I had to get these giant hay bales, and there was the baler, and then behind the baler was a tractor pulling a flatbed, and we would throw the hay up onto the flatbed as it drove. And you had to keep up, this thing was not stopping. From sunup to sundown, we would grab these giant bales of hay, and you would break your back trying to get these bales of hay onto that flatbed. We did that for three days straight. I found out this, that the fields were ready and they were ripe, and it was my responsibility to bring in the hay for the horses. Now, let me point out the obvious. I was not eating that hay. The hay was not for me. 
It was for the horses. But my devotion to those horses was best demonstrated by my desire to make sure they had food. Our devotion to God's harvest is best demonstrated by us going out into the fields. Many of us feel like my devotion to God is best demonstrated by coming to church. And I believe that you should go to church. However, your devotion to God is best demonstrated when you get out into the field and bring in the harvest. And the harvest is not grain. It's not oats. It is souls into the kingdom of God. But therein lies the problem. And this is why we lose our hustle for the harvest, because the harvest isn't for us. It's not about us. And so many of us, we don't want to go into the fields. We like to come to church and sit there. And then we heard there's going to be international buffet. Come on. Some of you are like, I'm ready. I got my stretchy pants. Let's do this. Let's go. Get this message over, preacher man. I got my bib ready. But I want to help us this morning because what God wants you and I to see is first and foremost that Jesus' heart is always for the harvest. No matter where he went, his heart was on the harvest. And if we claim to follow Jesus, then we need to have a heart that's for the harvest. We saw it in verse 34. Jesus said to them, my food, my, my life, what sustains me is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's what sustained him. He said it's all about bringing in this harvest. What is the work? It's the redemption of fallen man because of sin. That is the work that Jesus, when he's dying on the cross, he finally says it is finished. He has made redemption for all fallen man possible. But here he's busy doing the work. In Matthew 9, we read the passage where Jesus is saying he has compassion. And in verse 36, it says he saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. Why? Because Jesus' heart is always for the harvest. So what are you? Are you the field or are you the farmer? Because God's heart is to go out and to focus on the field. Food, too often though, is our focus, is it not? Come on, we can be honest. Sunday afternoon, we get that Sunday lunch. We're excited about it. But Jesus was not focused on food. Also, food was not his fuel. It was all about finishing his father's work. You see, the disciples were hungry, so they went to go buy food. Jesus was also hungry, so he went to the field. He said, I know how to satisfy my hunger. I know what I desire. I know what I crave. You see, helping to gather the harvest satisfied Jesus' hunger. And a farmer's devotion to the field is driven by his desire to feed others. But we can miss our heart for the harvest. There's a famous picture that was taken in 1993, and it was taken by Kevin Carter, and it won a Pulitzer Prize. I'll, I'll put it up here on the screen for you. Anybody remember this picture? It's of a Sudanese person. Many thought that this was a little girl. It's actually a Sudanese boy. And in the background, there is a vulture waiting for this Sudanese boy to die of starvation, and then the vulture was going to devour him. Kevin Carter took this picture because he was over there talking about the famine that was taking place in Sudan and he sees this image and he takes a picture and he wins a Pulitzer Prize for it. And when he was receiving his award, everybody asked him this question. 
what happened to the boy. They asked him, they said, you took a picture of the starving boy that was going to die. What happened? Did you get the boy any bread? Four months after receiving his Pulitzer Prize, he committed suicide because he did nothing for the boy. Because he lost focus on the field. And you and I, we can lose our focus for what God wants us to be focused on. And his focus and his heart is always on the field. His focus is on the person to your left and person to your right that they would know Jesus and they would spend an eternity in heaven. That's his focus. And if you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal savior, you, my friend, are the field. If you have received Jesus, then you're supposed to be a farmer going out into the field and bringing them in so that they know Jesus as their savior. Because Jesus' heart is for the field. Amen? Secondly, write this down. We have more harvest than we have helpers. Verse 37 of Matthew 9, he said to his disciples, the harvest is great. We see that the harvest is not only ready, it's a great harvest. And when you have a great harvest, you would expect that there would be many workers. But the scripture tells us the workers are few. I could simply say this to you. We have wonderful volunteers at our church, but we don't have enough. The city of San Jose doesn't have enough people who are willing to say, Lord, who who can I talk to? Who can I invite Every Sunday, there's these little cards out in the lobby that we encourage you. We've made it wallet size, purse size, because we're hoping that maybe when you go to a restaurant or a coffee shop, or you go to do your laundry somewhere, or you sit next to a coworker, that you would take out this little card and say, hey, may I invite you to my church? Because that's what a farmer does. But sadly, what was true back then is true today. Because I gave you the statistics in week number one. 73% of Christians would say we have a responsibility to tell others about Jesus. But only 52% actually take action and actually tell people about Jesus. I won't do this right now. But statistics tell me that most born again believers who call themselves Christians have never led a person to Jesus. Talking about Jesus is not leading somebody to Jesus. Telling somebody they should go to church is not leading somebody to Jesus. Opening up a Bible and giving somebody a Bible is not telling somebody how they can know Jesus as their Savior. They need to know that Jesus died on a cross for their sin, that if they repent of that sin, trust Christ as their Savior, they'll spend eternity in heaven. It's not their good looks, their good works. It's not how much they give, not what church they attend. It's only by accepting the forgiveness Forgiveness of Jesus Christ that makes heaven possible. And most Christians never tell anybody. We go about our days woefully silent. And this is where Jesus is hopefully convicting us as a body and saying, the harvest is great, but where's the help? God is looking for helpers. And we praise God for Carissa that she's willing to go. But is she the only one? Are we content to let one go? Are we content to say, check it off, our church is good? Or are we content to say, oh, let me put a little bit extra in the plate to help fund that? How about we say, Lord, give me your heart for this harvest. Give me your heart for this field. Because God is wanting helpers. I didn't grow up on a farm, but my dad did own a tractor. You say, why would your dad want a tractor? 
Do you remember Y2K? Anybody remember that whole thing? Let's just say my dad was kind of prepped and ready to go for the downfall of all civilized humanity. We had barrels of grain, we had shotguns, we had ammo, we had gold bullion, we had stuff just everywhere. For an entire year, my dad would just take trips everywhere, collecting things, getting ready for the inevitable Y2K, the shutdown of the society. And so he even bought a tractor. We owned 10 acres and he was like, we're going to need this tractor. Can I tell you, we never planted one single stalk of corn, not one tomato. We didn't harvest anything with that tractor. That tractor, for all I know, could have been my college fund that my dad decided, there we go, we need this tractor. I rode on it one time. <laughs> the best that tractor ever did was mow some weeds down for us. Here's the thing. We had the tools, we just didn't have any need for the tools. We even had the laborers, but we just didn't have any fields. There was nothing to bring in. In God's kingdom, it's the exact opposite. God's like, I got the fields. These fields are ready. I just don't have anybody that wants to go work in the fields. I got people that want to complain when they got to get out of their comfort zone and invite people to church and tell them about Jesus. The person that we say changed our lives and we don't want to tell nobody about him. You see, Southridge Church is a church where we're saying, this is for me, but it's not about me. And that's where we lose our motivation for the harvest, isn't it? It's hard to get motivated sun up to sun down, bucking hay for a bunch of horses that they're going to bite you, they're going to kick you. And you're like, why am I feeding this horse? You deserve to go to the glue factory. <laughs> and some of us kind of act like horses. I had another word, but I don't like to cuss in church. Sometimes we can act ornery. And some of us are like, oh, there we go. I'm not going to invite anybody. No, we're called to have the heart for the harvest, to go and tell people about Jesus. But here's the thing. Our problem is not the harvest, but with the help. But yet what we're good at is we're good at blaming the harvest for not getting harvested. You say, what do you mean? Let me explain it. We get mad at people because they don't go to church. Unchurched people don't know they're supposed to go to church. <laughs> Lost people don't know they're supposed to act like Christians. But yet here Christians are like, oh, I can't believe what they would do that. Oh, could you believe them? They would vote that way. Oh, could you believe they would wear that, dress like that, say that, drink that, smoke with that, date that, do that? Yes, I actually can believe it. They're not Christians. Stop projecting your morality on somebody who does not know Jesus. You see, the harvest is not the problem. And so you and I, we're stepping back. We're saying, I can't believe these sinners. Sinners are going to act like sinners. We're safe sinners and we still act like sinners. Come on now. It's quiet in this church this morning, Rod. I'm telling you. Our, our, we must have gone Presbyterian from last week to this week. I don't know. We're just awfully quiet in here. God's frozen chosen. Come on, say amen this morning. Amen. There we go. Let's quit blaming the world for being worldly. Quit blaming non-Christians for doing unchristian things. Quit expecting lost people to hold standards that they never expressed to believe. We love to blame the harvest for not being harvested. Instead of being farmers and say, where's my field? Let's go. You don't need overalls. You don't need boots. You don't need a plow. You just say, I'm going to go find my field. And I'm going to get busy with my field. But then Jesus, he gives a solution to the problem, does he not? Verse 38, he said, so pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. 
Ask him to send more workers into the fields. The problem is not with the harvest, but in our prayers for the harvest. If you don't have God's heart for the harvest, then pray and say, God, would you give me your heart for your harvest? That's a little bit of feedback, a little bit of echo. Can we turn that down in the sound booth if we can? But understand this, when it comes to this harvest, you and I, we need to say, God, please give me your heart. I don't want to just be doing life without your heart. John Knox in the 1500s, he was a great reformer and father of the Presbyterian movement. He also influenced Mary, Queen of Scots. And he said this, give me Scotland or I die. He won a nation to Christ in the 1500s, but he did it by praying for them. Have you prayed for your neighbor? Have you prayed for your spouse? Have you prayed for your children? Have you prayed for your grandchildren? Have you prayed for your president? Have you prayed for the political leaders? Have you prayed? Because we sure are good about talking about them, but are we going to come to God and say, Lord, help me with this? We need to be praying. And then thirdly and finally, we go back to verse 35 of John 4. He says, Don't say that there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look under the fields, for they are already white for harvest. We need a vision that the harvest has value. If you don't see that this harvest has value, infinite, eternal value, we're never going to go out into the field. John chapter number four starts out, Jesus meets a woman at the well. His disciples aren't there. His disciples are hungry. So his disciples decide to go into the city of Samaria to buy some food. And that's where we opened it up because the disciples come back and they found a, a little, little drive through pita bread. They found somewhere to get a sandwich. They found somewhere to get some loaves and fishes. And they were full and they come back to find Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman. And they're surprised that Jesus is talking to a Samaritan Because Jews don't have dealings with Samaritans. We'll buy their food, but we don't talk to them. And they're surprised. You see, the disciples were seeing Jesus and wanted to care about food, but they could care less about the harvest. But yet, Jesus witnesses to a woman, and she gets gloriously saved. And verse number 27, the disciples, when they came back, they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. And they didn't have the nerve to ask what Jesus wanted with them. So they're just talking about her. And I love verse 28. It says, the woman left her water jar besides the well, ran back into the village. Notice this. Watch this. The same village the disciples just left. Okay? So they're crossing. And notice you had 12 disciples who had been following Jesus, who had just gone into a field. And when you go into a field, you should come back with a what church? harvest they come back with food not a harvest this woman who just received Christ leaves her water jar she goes into the village verse 28 telling everyone verse 29 come and see a man who told me everything I ever did could he possibly be the Messiah verse 30 is powerful so the people came streaming from the village to see him there's a powerful lesson here The disciples could walk through a field and never think about a harvest. But here's a woman who was a field. She says, I got to go back and I got to tell some others. 
She went from being a field at the beginning of this passage, and now she's a farmer, amen? She said, I'm going to bring some people with me. Hey, y'all, come, 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 come meet this guy named Jesus. And it says that many people followed. You see, the moment she went into Samaria, the woman changed. She's no longer a field. She's no longer somebody needing to be told about Jesus. She's now somebody that has Jesus, and she's telling others. This woman started telling everybody about Jesus. My question for you is, are you still a field or are you now a farmer? Are you willing to go out into the world and tell people about Jesus? You see, if you brought your one during our series, you're a farmer. If you are going after fields, you're a farmer. If you are praying for your spouse to receive Christ, you're a farmer. If you've been texting and calling your wayward child saying, I love you and want to tell you about Jesus, you're a farmer. If you've been knocking on the door of your neighbor with a pie and an invite to church, you're a farmer. If you've gone to your boss who's always giving you a hard time and you show up with his favorite set of golf balls or golf clubs and you say, I hope you have a great game this week, but if you ever get a free moment, I want to tell you about Jesus and I want to invite you, you're a farmer. If you've ever taken a moment to go and talk to a relative that you aren't talking to and you say, I know we've had some beef, but I want to tell you about Jesus, then you are a farmer. If you've ever taken a moment out of your busy schedule and you you saw a homeless person who's struggling and you say, can I help you? And can you pray with them? You're a farmer. If you've ever saw a single person that you say, this person needs to know about Jesus, you're a farmer. If you've ever seen a single parent and you've tried to bless them, you're a farmer. We need a church filled with farmers who will go out into the field, but too often we have a bunch of farmers that just talk about farming. And we don't want to go out into the field. You see, Jesus says something powerful, though, in verse 35. There are still four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the what, church? Field or fields? Oh, so we don't just have one field. I don't just get to reach my neighbor and then, done with that. I don't just get to witness my children and, done. We don't just have one field. We've got multiple fields. Go into Jerusalem. When you get finished with Jerusalem, then go into Judea. When you get finished with Judea, then go into Samaria. Once you get done with Samaria, then go into the uttermost. We don't just stop here. It doesn't stop in your family. It doesn't stop in your job. It doesn't stop in your neighborhood. It just keeps going. We just go after field, after field, after field. You know, whenever I meet a college student or a med student, I always ask them, what field of study are you in? What field of study? And then they'll tell me what field to study. My question for the church is, what field of study are you in? What field are you studying so you know how to reach them? There's a reason our church does Multicultural Sunday because we want to be studying other cultures so how we can present the gospel to them so that we can reach them. This is not so we can just dress up, eat some good food, and just hear some people sing in their native tongue. No, this is about how can we effectively reach other cultures because this is gonna be a reflection of what heaven is. But then Jesus, he said something in the word field, and I'm almost done, church. Hang with me just a minute. The word field that Jesus is using is the Greek word kora. Let's say the word together. The Greek word is the word what? Kora. Kora. A little bit stronger, a little bit more enthusiasm, please. The word is? Cora. Cora. Thank you. That's excellent. 
When Jesus is saying field, he's not talking about a plot of dirt. You know what the word Korah literally means? It means territory, country, or city. So when Jesus said, lift up your eyes, look on the fields, he wasn't talking about agriculture at all. He was talking about lift up your eyes, and he was looking at the city of Samaria. You say, how do we know that? We have to go to the beginning of the passage. Verse 3, John 4 says, Jesus left Judea and departed again into Samaria, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground which Jacob gave his son Joseph. You know what word he uses? He uses the Greek word Korah. What's he saying? He's saying your vision's got to get bigger. You're called the fields, Korah, countries, territories, cities. It's bigger than our families. It's bigger than our sphere of influence. It's so big that one farmer can't do it. Do you understand that? It's so big that you can't do it all. It's so big that one pastor can't do it. One worship pastor can't do it. One children's pastor can't do it. One staff member can't do it. One trustee can't do it. One deacon can't do it. One life group leader can't do it. One mom can't do it. One dad can't do it. One teenager can't do it. One child can't do it. One single person can't do it. But together, maybe together we can all do it. Maybe if we said, Lord, give me your heart for the harvest, maybe together we could reach our Korah. Maybe together our Korah would be changed. Maybe together we would look at our Korah of San Jose and we'd say, Lord, that's a field and I'm a farmer and I'm going to grab me some oats and I'm going to grab me some overalls and a John Deere hat because here I come. I'm coming to harvest for some souls because I believe there's some people that are ready. You see, the disciples went into the same city and they came back with nobody. But I need you to catch this. This is powerful. The scripture tells us in verse 39, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed. Many. But then it goes on, verse 40, so when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stays two more days. And verse 41 says, and many more believed. Many, and then many more. Jesus wants to save many people. And once he saves many, he wants to save many more. Because Jesus is always hungry for more harvests. Amen. He's always hungry for one more soul to be saved. There's room for one more. There's room for you. Maybe you're here today by an invitation. Maybe you are somebody's one. Maybe your name was written on a card that somebody put here and we've been praying for you. I've been interceding on your behalf, praying that God would get a hold of your heart and he would gently nudge you and say that he loves you and that if you don't repent of your sin, you're gonna die in your sins and go to a crisis hell. But there's a way of escape that Jesus came and he bridged the gap so that you can move from wickedness to righteousness, that you can go from being lost to being saved and that's what your neighbor brought you. That's why your loved one brought you because they want you to know that God wants to save many and he wants to save many more. God wants you to know him. But let me take you back to Buck and Hay in 2000. Like I said, we went from sunup to sundown for three days, Buck and Hay. 
And then I thought the job was over, but the head wrangler, Rich, he came up. He said, all right, boys, I know you're tired. But he said, we've collected the hay, but we have not protected the hay. He said, we now got to get this hay up into our barn. I said, the barn's way up there. We had a massive barn. This ranch is 1,300 acres, so you know we built a barn that would make the, move, the show Yellowstone jealous, okay? We had a big old barn. And we had this hay elevator, the elevator. We would put the hay on, and it would send the hay up to the top, this little window. And we'd grab the hay, and then we'd chuck it, and man... It was hard work, almost harder than bucking the hay because now we're in the roof of a barn with a tin roof and we're in the south in Tennessee where they don't just have the heat, they got the humidity over there. And I was working at a camp that didn't believe in wearing shorts and, and shirts, t-shirts. So we're wearing Wrangler jeans and stupid Wrangler vests. It looked like I was going to a Garth Brooks concert. You know, it just was ridiculous. I'm sweating like crazy. Man, we started filling up that barn, and Cowboy Rich said something. He said, because the more we store, the more we see saved. He said, the more of this hay we can store, the more of it we'll save. So we worked round the clock, because sometimes you'll have random Tennessee thunderstorms blow through. He said, if this rain's caught out there, it's going to be ruined. Mold and stuff will get into it. We can't feed it to the animals. So we worked as hard as we could. Man, we finished the barn and we thought we were done. We thought we had done good. And then Cowboy Rich, he comes up to us and he says, hey boys, I know you've been bucking hay and then you've been storing the hay. But our ranch, that's our barn. But we also have a stable. We got to go fill the stable as well. Because the more we can store the more we'll save. So then we went over to the stable and we filled that. We filled up every square inch with as much of the harvest as we could get. Are you following the metaphor? God wants us to keep going for more because the more we can store, the more we'll save that there's more people out there that if we can bring them in and see them saved, their whole life changes. And there's always room for one more. There's always room for your friend and your neighbor and your spouse and your brother and your sister and your boyfriend and your girlfriend and, and your fiance. There's always room for one more. And the more we can store, the more we can see saved. And that's the purpose of Southridge Church is leading people to find and follow Jesus. It's why we exist. Reinhard Bonnke said, let's plunder hell to populate heaven. I like what we say around here. Let's make San Jose a hard place to go to hell from. You see, maybe you're thinking, well, pastor, why does it matter if I don't do anything? Let me tell you this. You can't lose a harvest. You can only leave it. And some of us, we're not losing the harvest. We're just leaving it. We're just leaving it, just walking away. Not worried about our spouse or our children, our neighbors. But this morning, we need to be a farmer. Will you be a farmer? Will you go out into the fields? 
and see someone saved? Or are you a field this morning who's waiting to hear the message of Jesus? That Jesus saves, and I like this old King James word, to the uttermost. What's that mean? You can be bad and you can be real bad and Jesus still saves you and loves you. And he saves you to the uttermost. No matter what you've done, he separated your sin so far as the east is from the west. North and south will meet, but east and west never meet. He separated from you. Can we stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? My prayer is that if you're a field, you would receive Christ this morning. And if you're a farmer, that you would get back into your field. I want to pray for the farmers in the room. Has God given you a one that you need to go and tell them about Jesus? Do you have a one? We filled out these cards and maybe you received a card and you want to pray for somebody. I'm going to give you an opportunity to be able to pray for them in just a moment. But if you haven't been a very good farmer like I haven't always been a good farmer and you've been convicted, that conviction is not to shame you, it's to change you. So you say, Father, Lord, I want to go back into your field. So this morning, if you're convicted that you need to do more to love your family, your children, I want to pray for you. Would you slip up your hand? You say, Micaiah, would you pray for me that I'd be a farmer? Oh, amen. Amen. I see hands up all over the room. Oh, God bless you. On my right and my left, hands up everywhere. Hands went quick. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for these farmers. Lord, it's hard to get up early, to stay up late, to go after souls. But we have such a short window of time. With everything going on in our world, time is getting away from us. The great writer, Apostle Paul, said, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore awaken to righteousness, for our salvation is nearer than when we first began. And so, Father, I pray for farmers. I pray that we would ignite a passion to be farmers, to go out into your field and bring in your harvest so that your house may be filled with this harvest. Because the more we can store, the more we can see saved. So bless these farmers. Give them divine appointments this week. May they bump into people who are ready to be saved. May you make it easy for them, Father. As they talk to their barber, their hairdresser, may they want to receive Christ. As they get their coffee, I pray that that barista would be open to the gospel. As they witness to their loved ones this week, may their loved one break down in tears under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and repent and say, I need to be saved. Father, I pray for spouses that need to be saved, that that are burdened on their spouse's heart. And Lord, may you work in their life. Oh Lord, we pray for our president, we pray for our mayor, we pray for our senators and our congressmen. We pray for our political leaders and our council members. I pray that if they're not saved, that they would be saved. Send farmers into the fields, God. Oh, I pray that you would give us supernatural favor in Jesus name I want to pray for one more group here this morning if you don't know Christ as your savior you're here this morning you're saying this is the first time I've ever been to church I don't know Christ as my savior 
but I want to. That woman in John 4 just went to the well to get some water and she found something better. She found living water. Maybe today you're like that. You didn't think that today your life would be forever changed. But you know that you need to repent of your sin and trust Christ as your Savior. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask nobody looking around. But if you say today, I know I'm a field and I want to receive Christ as my Savior. Is that you? Would you slip up a hand? Can I pray for you? Is anybody like that? You ready to receive Christ as your Savior? Anybody this morning? Any hands? If you would like to receive Christ your Savior at any point, I would love to pray with you. Last week during the invitation, someone found me down here and I prayed and she received Christ as Savior. She's back again this Sunday. And if that's you, you say, I want to receive Christ, then you find me, we'll pray. That's the greatest decision you can make. Let me pray and we're going to be dismissed. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray that we would decide today, are we going to be a field or a farmer? Are we going to get busy getting into your harvest? Or are we just going to sleep in harvest? Like that foolish son, missing out on the harvest. It's harvest time in San Jose, and we don't want to miss it. We pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. It's been a great Sunday. Your kids, they sang. They looked cute. Grab your things. Look at somebody to your left and your right and smile at them and say, are you ready? Are you ready? Because we're about to have a multicultural potluck in the lobby. Hopefully you can stick around. Once again, thank you for being at Southridge Church. God bless you. You are dismissed. Have a wonderful week. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. If this message inspired you and helped you, we would love for you to hit like, subscribe, or share it with someone today. Until next time. Have a great day.